Let's just pray before we get into the message. Lord, uh, this morning we just thank you. God, I just thank you for so many people who uh, have just walked through this life and who have experienced adversity and have come out on the other end, not unscathed, but increasing in faith, increasing in hope, patient in tribulation, confident in you. Lord, I think of some of the expressions of peace that flow like a river, that flows. God, that there is a hope for the soul. God, that when there are wounds, that you are the healer. God, that when there is pain, you are the comforter. Lord, I believe all these things to be true. And Lord, as we look at Habakkuk, Lord, and and the situation that has surrounded the Israelites, Lord, they had it far worse than most of us in this room. And Lord, um, the prophet just asked for more faith, asked for mercy, put himself before you as king. God, let us do that this morning. Lord, we are not on the throne. Lord, if we are on the throne, I just say feel free to kick us off. You are the rightful heir, King Jesus. We serve you. We love by serving others. We love by forgiving others, forgiving our enemies as you have forgiven us. We love by having a ministry of reconciliation. We love by displaying grace, Lord, when it's natural not to do so. God, all these things we cannot do on our own. We are helpless. And so we bow our heads like reeds before you, God. Thankful to be sons and daughters of the Most High, to be heirs of the kingdom. So Lord, our hope is found in you, our future is found in you, and we just thank you for that. Lord, we release control. Or God, I just say, we, I pray we release control and allow you to steer the ship. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. So in um, Habakkuk last week, uh, Pastor Todd talked about, you know, his deal and our deal, and we just sort of gone on to the, we went from the woes that were pronounced, and then we're transitioning into Habakkuk's response and God's response to him. And I just can't help but think of um, some questions And to me, there's two questions that are the most significant questions people have, Christians have or should have, and non-Christians have. Two questions. The first is, um, why does God, why do the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? Why do 
bad things happen to good people said in a more uh, contemporary way? And second, why does God often appear to remain silent? Why do the righteous suffer? And why does God often remain silent? And too often in early Sunday school days, um, we teach people that we're, we're just going to be happy. We have to be happy all the time. I, I joke about that song, I'm so happy, happy, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart with sin, I'm happy, 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 happy all the time. And it is a lie. I'm not happy all the time. I didn't see Jesus being happy all the time when he knelt down in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed that prayer that take this from me, not my will but thine be done. And so how are we as Christians going to have a solid say in biblical understanding if we can't at least ask the question and go to God with with help for it? And so here's what I'm going to promise you I'm not going to do. I'm not going to fully answer that question. Isn't that exciting? I am not going to fully answer that question. I am not going to give you, I can give you some things that I believe, but I'm not going to leave you with, yeah, that's it. That's awesome. I'm totally in. I did not see that before. I am not going to unmask anything crazy for you, but I hope to preach to you and speak to you in the way that the prophet Habakkuk struggled through these questions and to know that we can struggle with them as well. And so think of being on the battlefield. Uh, yesterday, I, I watched uh, um, a documentary on the Marines at the Guadalcanal. And I don't know a lot of that. I know we have a few Marines in this room, but, but I, I do know that there was great loss. And they, first they went in, it was peaceful, and then they began to experience a lot of things, and they were surrounded by the enemy, and it just didn't seem sick. 19, or excuse me, yeah, 1944, when the Allies stormed Normandy Beach. I think that, you know, as those landing craft came aboard and the shells went flying, they were not incredibly excited as we are looking back about what happened. There was fear and there was trepidation and there was a very real possibility for loss of life. I think about the Revolutionary War. You know, when George Washington was in, um, when they crossed over to Potomac, uh, excuse, is that right? No, the, the Delaware, thank you. I knew that was wrong when I said it. And you are quick on that one. Um, when he crossed over, and it just didn't seem like the battle was going to go well, but we have this, we don't know if it's historically correct, but we have this beautiful picture of Washington kneeling and praying to God and asking him for direction and for provision. And so we have the same thing here with Habakkuk. In verse 1, it starts off as a prayer of Habakkuk. In verse 2, it says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear? I don't think he was going, I've heard your report, and I'm fearless. I think he's very clearly saying, I have heard the report of you, and, and yet there's fear in me. And I think it's a very real response for us. We have fears. And so I, I don't want to take away and, and make you feel less Christian for not fearing. I don't want to take you away for, for being anxious. I don't want to take away these things. But what I want to do is say that we want to have a prayer like Habakkuk prayed. And he said, 
in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. The Bible is built on a premise that you and I are inherently evil, that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and who could know it? It is against this notion that we were all born as pretty good people, and, and, and by nurture, either we became worse or better, and that it was all depending on the environment. The Bible totally takes that apart and says, we are all born inherently selfish, inherently, inherently not, I don't want to say evil, but seeking after our own and, and not doing things that are normally good. Not saying that we don't do good things. And my best case of that is to, you know, where do kids learn mine and I? Mine. Where do the kids learn to forearm the, the little kid beside them to take a toy? Where do they learn that? that? You know, where do they get that? We did not teach them as parents, I don't think. All right, let's sit down. When another little kid takes your toy from you, I want you to go and grab it from them viciously and say, Mine! Did any parents do that? All right, no? Now, as we grow older, we tend to be just as selfish and some people, the evil grows and the, the vexation of the world grows and horrific things happen. And horrific things happen to really good people. You know, I am reminded of when I was a youth pastor and we had a family in town, many of you know the Fishers, who had just came back on a mission trip and the father said, and he had two sons, one was, the youngest one was in our youth group, the oldest one was in a senior high of the youth group, and the father said this, he said, I want the county to know and experience Jesus. After a mission trip, and within weeks, I'm not sure of this specific time, their oldest son killed them and the youngest son. And that just doesn't make sense. I can't, you know, I fought with that, I warred with that, but it doesn't make sense. But I tell you what did make sense is that Laura and I were able to walk in with my Bible into Easton Middle School with teachers and faculty that trusted me and I didn't go in and, and bang the Bible on anyone's head, but we walked right in and they opened the classroom and let me share with them and let me provide hope and invited them in. And many, many kids and many adults came to know Jesus. It was, it was not the way I would have written it, but I can tell you that man's prayers were answered. But it was incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. Carrying the casket of a little boy just not right and it doesn't feel right so what do we do with that let me just say anyone that's worth their salt will not take the answer well just got to just trust God I mean that is an answer and it is true but it has to be worked through you have to walk through the steps you can't just check that box off with this so um, the prophet here or excuse me in this chapter 
The verse two, it is the only one that is a petition for God to do something. So he says, have in your wrath, remember mercy. So remember, the Israelites did what was right in their own eyes. They did exactly what you and I do. We do what we think is right, and we forget what God has done at oftentimes. I'm not saying you're doing it right now. You just forget what God has done, and you begin to do it in your own sight. You become your own little idol. You become your own God. You do things, and then all of a sudden, things you start paying the price for it. Am I alone here? Have you paid the price for doing things your way? I know I have. But the Israelite people were turning away from God and turning away from his precepts. Remember, so Habakkuk here says, in your wrath, remember mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy. So God used the enemies of the Israelites to bring his people back to himself. Some have said in, midst, uh, in, the, in light of the past decade or two that God has used the enemies of America to be a reminder that we are not in control of our future. And when we forget God's principles and we take them lightly, that there is a price to pay. And I believe that. Habakkuk is still claiming, though, he says, in wrath, please remember mercy. So if you are going through the judgment of God and maybe you're experiencing uh, some difficulty and everything and you have written your own prescription for it, you have walked your own steps and you're paying for it now, just say to God, the first thing here is just say to God, God, in your wrath against me, I deserve it, but God, I plead on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Just plead mercy. Plead mercy. So I just said I was going to ask this morning or encourage you, if you're in the midst of a spiritual war, have you considered to remind God of his mercy? Just remind him, dwelling on the promises of God. So the next number of verses, it continues on, and he talks about... he. Uh, three things. It talks about preserving life, providing understanding, and remembering mercy. And in verse three, it says, God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, his splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. So here we're seeing a reminder where God uh, came out of the Sinai, where he had met Moses, in order to deliver the people from Egypt. Habakkuk is reminding the people of history, or reminding God of his history. Verse four, his brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. We're reminded there of when Moses went up onto the mountain and he went to get the tablets, and, and Moses was in the presence of God and he had the Shekinah glory. And he radiated God's goodness. Have you ever seen that with people? I have. I don't know that I've ever seen it in myself, but I have seen it in other people where they radiate Jesus so much. It's not put on. It's not something that they just, it's not an act. It's not a mask, but it's just like God has been so bountiful in their good times and their bad times that they radiate the goodness of Jesus. Moses went up and he saw God face to face and God's goodness radiated on him. I can't explain it fully, but 
he reflected the glory of God. And when he came down, he had to veil himself because people weren't ready to see it. And it's an amazing thing. But he reminded God of that. Verse four, or verse five, before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heels. Obviously, we're reminded of the 10 plagues where God delivered his people. Verse six, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. And I believe you see a view of creation here. Verse eight, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses and on your chariot of salvation? You see this, the parting of the Red Sea, when God delivered the people, uh, the Israelites, from bondage. It's an important concept to get this. We can all glass over it. Egypt was a sign of us. If you are, have been with Christ and you consider yourself a Christian, Egypt is a sign of what we were before Christ. It is a viewpoint and understanding. Just understand that we were all slaves to our sin. My boy. We were all slaves. Your boy, actually. <laughs> we were all slaves to sin. God freed us and he took us through into the wilderness, right? Moses took, and what the law couldn't do in the wilderness, God took Joshua and brought us through to the promised land. And that is a picture, ultimately, I believe, of two things, a, a spirit-filled life that is here on earth, a kingdom-filled life, and ultimately, the already but not yet of being glorified in heaven, a beautiful picture of heaven. So the Bible teaches these things. It teaches that we were under bondage. It teaches that we were slaves to sin and that God freed us. And it also teaches us in the wilderness that we return to our sin. We're prone to do it, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We're prone to do these things. And Habakkuk is just reminding God and his, that he has been faithful and, and he is merciful in these things. Verse nine, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the, night, at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. Here we have a reminder of Joshua when he prayed for the sun and moon to stand still, fighting, God did so. And Joshua 10, 14 says, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Verse 12, you marched to the earth in fury, you threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrow the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the earth with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. 
I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He recognizes, <laughs> you're making it hard. Especially with the big smile he looks at me with. So here we have the prophet in the midst of reminding God and still saying, and yet I know at some time, at some point, that you're going to vanquish my enemies. Now this is because I believe Habakkuk was speaking uh, to God for himself and for his people, but he wasn't responsible for what was happening. We talked earlier about standing firm, about showing up to battle, about being ready. But in this case, he is waiting for God for salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Matthew 5, 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Do you all hear that? Do you like what you hear? Just think about it. When you're persecuted for righteousness, rejoice. When you're reviled, rejoice. Persecuted, rejoice. When people lie about you and slander you, rejoice. When they speak falsely on your account, rejoice and be glad. Is that what you understand scripture to mean? Do you think that's just put there as a, ah, we don't have to listen to that? That was really for maybe the disciples who died and all that stuff, and that's maybe for other people, but he's given us the New Testament. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and we're not going to suffer anymore. That's not what the Bible says, is it? It's not. But too many people focus on the good, the good, the good, and I love the good too. But here it says, blessed are we when reviled that we rejoice in verse, chapter 3, verse 17, I want you to hear what Habakkuk says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread upon high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Said another way, suppose you lose your job. 
Suppose you lose your house. Suppose you were betrayed by a close friend. Suppose you had someone steal from you. Suppose someone hit your car on the street and didn't stop. Suppose you are without food. Suppose you are without drink. What is going to be your reaction? What is going to be my reaction? When everything fails us, when friends let us down, when marriages diminish, what is going to be our response? Habakkuk says, my response is going to be, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Period. There are some things in life that I have not learned real well. And there is one, but there is one thing that I feel like I'm learning. Do any of y'all remember Dr. Kramadan from PEF years ago? Well, Dr. K, he told me something one time, and I think he was wrong, but he was right. He told me, never write a book before you're 40, because you'll change your ideas about 10 times. I think it should have been about 60, because I feel like I'm almost 50. I feel like I'm just beginning to pull away the sand on the beach and, and find the hidden treasure that's buried there in scripture. And here's what I'm finding. There's a lot of things I'm not, I have not, I'm not claiming to arrive, but this I believe in. Faith. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he is a rewarder of those who do what? Diligently seek him, right? It doesn't say that we diligently seek him when we have all the answers. It doesn't say we diligently seek him when things are going good. It doesn't say we just come back to him when things are bad because we have nowhere else to go. But it says, by faith, that we grow. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not, things not seen. It is faith, as I look back on my short, brief journey of life, that God has brought me through uh, abusive situations as a kid. God brought me through a difficult home. God brought me a godly wife, and I am thankful for that. God gave me children, and I'm thankful for that. God brought us through some difficult times in that situation. I'm thankful for that. God brought me through some difficulties in the church setting. I am thankful for that. God has brought me through difficulties with friendships, and God, I am thankful for that. By faith, it is with faith that we grow and experience God, and we set aside fear and take a hold of faith. We can't take a hold of anything but Jesus in that. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the, the T's crossed and I's dotted, but we do cling in faith to a loving God who has never let me down. And it feels weird saying that. 
it feels weird saying that. Because in my heart of hearts, I have many times gone to the Lord and say, God, why did you let me down? Why did you let this happen? 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 Why did this person die? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And the list goes on and on. Anyone have a list like that? But ultimately, if we take the creation account into with a serious approach that we realize that when sin enters the world, that we live in the consequences of sin. People do bad things. These things are difficult to manage and are difficult to understand, but people do horrific things. People who claim to be Christian do horrific things. I am not going to stand up for them. I am not going to applaud them. But the thing is, is I know in my heart of hearts, I stand before you as someone who has committed and, and excuse me, who has broken every one of the commandments in my own soul. Everyone. And yet, because of faith in God that I know that I stand before him free and forgiven, that I don't understand things fully, but I do place my trust on a sovereign God who loves me and loves his people and has a plan for us. And so when things, my chips are down, and they have been, when the house of cards has fallen or the, grass, the glass house has shattered, one thing I know is that as I systematically remember in scripture how God provided, and systematically recall what he has done for me, my family, and for many of you that I know your situation. I say that he has worked all things for good. And so I come to you as one who now, though far from perfect, rests in the sovereignty of God. When there are difficulties, do I get angry? Yes. Do I fear? Yes. Do I get anxious? Yes. Do I worry? Yes. But the cycle of that trend has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter as my walk with Jesus has grown longer and longer and longer. By the grace of God, I can say to you that he will provide for your every need, that he is there when you are broken, that he is there when you are lonely, when everyone betrays you, he is there, and he will respond to you. So let us remember Habakkuk's final words here. I will take joy, excuse me, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the deer's, he makes me tread on high places. This is the God I serve, this is the God you serve. 
as we come to communion, I want you to consider something. Have you allowed your lack of understanding why bad things happen to good people and why God often seems silent separate you from his presence? Now, by saying that, I'm not saying that you're separated from him eternally and don't know him, but I'm saying, has your questioning not led to a, a gracious understanding of God and a bowing of the knee to him and a trusting of his sovereignty? Has it created more distance? I just wanna encourage you to take the path of Habakkuk, recognizing God's hand in things and also realizing that we are in a broken world, but ultimately, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And part two, as we come to communion, we often come for three things. We come to repent. There's things that aren't right in our lives. If we come at a point of brokenness, the communion offers us hope. Communion is never closed down for someone who has trusted Jesus as their savior. It is, never, it is never closed for you unless you are closed to it. But it also says that we are to come with genuineness of heart, not holding uh, alt against one another, that if we have difficulties, we haven't reconciled, that we need to come and go and deal with those before it. But if you are here and you have not walked with Jesus for a long time, or that you need to want to walk with him for the first time, this table's open for you. This table represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who came to die on our behalf so that he would take our sins upon him on the cross and we would take his righteousness. Said in a simpler way, all my bad was placed on him, all his good was placed on me. That is the good news we have.